Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this message. All right, let's jump right in. The Blessed Life is our series from the beginning of the year, and we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 13, verse 2, along with Exodus 13, 12 through 13. Exodus 13, 2 says, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Exodus 13, 12 and 13. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for bringing us together with you. Please, would you allow us to receive your instruction, your inspiration, in such a way that we live with and for you. Amen. Amen. Exodus sets out a principle that is in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the entirety of the Bible. It's an eternal principle that has application for us. And as we've been discussing uh, money, stewardship, finances, this is a principle that is true for all of life. In this passage that I've read, God is declaring, the firstborn is mine. The firstborn is mine. The first of all things of mine. The first of grain from the ground. The first of animals from your livestock. The first in your household, the womb. It all belongs to him, the first. And the idea that he is expressing and that we need to receive and practice is God's best saves the rest. God's best saves the rest. Now, I want to be sensitive to how what I've just read falls on ears today. We hear this in a way that those to whom it was written first would not have heard it. Um, a sacrificial system involving animals is not something we participate in or even find desirable. We have pets. So the idea of sacrificing an animal just doesn't sit well with us. But we need to understand the context in which the principle is being expressed so that we, while we don't practice the, 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 the system, we do hold on to the principle and its application for us. Make sense? So understand who he's writing to. Um, basically, the first animal sacrifice in human history goes all the way back to original man and woman and original sin. And it is actually original sin that was the cause of the need for an animal to ever be sacrificed. We know that the first man and the first woman from the word of God in Genesis sinned against God. Uh, the fall of man, we call it. That nature that is corrupt because of sin. And as a result, has passed to all men, even down to us. We were born with the Adamic nature or a sinful nature. And the first man and first woman, when they sinned, they felt great shame and attempted to cover themselves using the leaves of a tree, which could never cover their sin. But that was their best effort. 
God comes walking to them in love. And he covers them. I'm very grateful, hopefully you are too, that our God, even when we blow it, he seeks to restore us, he seeks to cover us. And the covering that he provided for them, it says he covered them with loin coverings. It was the skin of an animal. As much as we are thankful that God covers us, let's note that what he used was animal skin, which required the death for the first time of an animal. Death is familiar to us. Everyone in this room has some family member, a relative, friend who has died. It is very familiar to us. I have oftentimes been in relationships with people in this church and walked through death-like moments where there's been a loss of a child or loss of a, a spouse or loved one. I think about young people, men and women who grow up in communities and they're completely surrounded by death so much that they become numb to it. They almost expect their friends not to live beyond a certain age. So death is so familiar to all of us, but we need to understand that for the first man and the first woman, they knew nothing of death. All they knew was life and everything was good, very good, God said so. So the idea of death was foreign to them. And the fact that an animal had to be sacrificed in order to provide covering for them, that was the first time ever an animal had to die. Their food, they ate what was available, and animals were not on the list at that time. We are so uh, celebratory of being those who are in a vegan culture, and I think they would laugh at us. Vegan, that's all we ate. Fruit, vegetables, nobody was eating pig. I know you love your bacon. But nobody was... Nobody was eating it back then. So that's when the sacrificial system started, with God having to kill an animal in order to provide covering. Aren't you glad that he provided covering? But he did so at cost. And so when we come back now to Exodus, you understand that this is a system where an entire nation, God's people, Israel, they regularly present to God an offering but they understood that the offering had to be the first and the best of what they had. If they were farmers, it had to be the first and best of their crop. If they were shepherds, it had to be the first and best of their sheep. For us, who are not farmers necessarily, although some of you did grow up on the farm, who may not be shepherds, but who are employed uh, with the skills and the gifts that God has given us, our time is compensated with dollars or rand or wherever you are in the world. So God says the first and best of all your income producing activity belongs to me. That is the principle that's universal, whether it's animal, time, grain, people. Make sense? So this is really important, and you'll see where we're going in a moment. He says... Redeem with the lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So God makes clear that the firstborn is his. If it is clean, it is sacrificed. If it is unclean, it must be redeemed. So when they would present their offering, it just couldn't be, oh, the one you didn't want. Couldn't be a goodwill offering. Goodwill, uh, you hear what I'm saying? It had to be 
the one that you would have thought this is the best and the first, the one that we're inclined to keep for ourselves, it's not the hand-me-down, right? He said, only the best. So if you had grain or you had an animal or if you had something that was defective in any way at all, any animal that was born defective, if it had a blemish, if it had some spots, if it was diseased, you could not offer it to God. If it was first, it had to be redeemed. So you had to take a lamb, and the lamb had to be perfect, spotless, without blemish, and it would redeem the one that was blemished. Animals were divided into two groups, clean and unclean, but even if a clean animal was born with a defect, you couldn't offer it. Makes sense. So this is very important for us to understand. Now, God's people, the nation of Israel, were in bondage, enslaved for hundreds of years, centuries. But God promised them that they would be delivered. And on the eve of their deliverance, he gave them specific instructions which set in motion a, a celebration known as Passover. It was common for them to have lamb as part of their meal. Anybody like lamb? When it's prepared really well, and it's tender, the right sauce. I've, I've had good lamb in different places. I was in the Philippines. I had the best lamb of my life. What on earth is this, and why is it that good? God told them to prepare a lamb, so they were having lamb for dinner. However, that lamb had to be perfect, without blemish. They had to examine it and expect it. Test it. And if it was found to meet the test, you had to sacrifice it and drain the blood of the animal. Sorry for the details. But that blood then, he said, on this night, because the firstborn belongs to me in all of humanity, the firstborn of their oppressors, Egypt, the firstborn of Israel, all firstborn belong to God. And God said, on this night that I deliver you, Here's what you're to do. You're to go out in the front of your house and you're to take this tree, hyssop, a plant, and you're to dip it in the blood of the lamb. And you're to take that blood and actually mark and put it on the doorposts and lintel of your home. So you had to go across this way with the blood and you had to go up and down on the sides with the blood. And then later that night, when death was coming upon the land, God says this, when I see the blood, I will pass over that house. Because that blood was not applied over the homes of the Egyptians, they didn't know. Moses didn't give them that instruction. The firstborn of every home in all of Egypt, that's a lot of people, died that night. And the firstborn and all those in the house of the children of Israel all lived. Now, here's something to note. Both belonged to God. Both were just as sinful. There was no distinction between those who were living of the people of God and those who were not, except that he said, where I see the blood, I will pass over. Moses said it this way. What on earth will distinguish us from all the other people if it's not your presence? I make this point in this moment. We who are in the church who belong to God are no better than those who are not in the church and they're in the world. In fact, if memory serves me right, that's where he found us. And the only thing that distinguishes us now is not our attitude, because sometimes you can't tell the difference. 
It's not our language because sometimes you can't tell the difference, especially in traffic when somebody cuts you off. The only thing that differentiates anybody who is with God and anyone who is not is the blood that he sees over them. Human effort cannot change your condition with respect to God. Now, fast forward thousands of years of practicing the Passover celebration because they did it that night. I mean, they, they, the, the death passed over them. They worship God, and then they now enter into a life of freedom. How many love that? Yeah. No debt. They don't owe anybody anything. The only thing they except to love them. So they're walking into freedom now, and they are practicing this animal sacrifice year after year, the Day of Atonement, always sacrificing animals and grains and doves and all this stuff over and over and over again until it becomes a reflex where you no longer even have to consciously think about the reason for why you started. You know what I mean by reflex? So I, was, I came in this morning, and uh, I took the, the brochure that you all got, and I opened it, and I was sharing with someone, today we won't have the screens up like we normally do, so, uh, because we're usually in the ballroom upstairs, so you'll have to read here this as opposed to looking at the screen. No sooner than I said that, within two minutes, I walked over to the table, saw Pastor Rich, and I said, is the projectionist here so I can make sure they have the scriptures for the screen? And he said, no screen. And I said to myself, Duh, I know that, but it's such a reflex that you just end up going through the motions without consciously thinking. And I want you to know that sometimes we can be that way with God where we're just kind of, it's a reflex, we're going through the motions, and it's disconnected from the original purpose of why we're doing what we're doing. So since God gives his best to save the rest, let's understand this moving forward. You've got this nation now who's come all the way into the New Testament. And Jesus is 30 years of age. He's about to be presented to the nation of Israel as the Savior, by the way, not only of the Jewish people, the Israeli people who uh, were spoken about in Exodus, but he's the Savior of the world. And when he comes to the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin, John, who we refer to as John the Baptist, it's like a reflex, John the Baptist, when, we co- when he comes John says these words in John chapter 1, verse 29. He says, look, that's what he says when he sees Jesus walking. Look, the Lamb of God. Now, if you said that to a brother today, he would look at you funny. If you see a young man and say, dude, you look like a lion, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you say you look like a lamb, he wants to fight you. So context, context. And I think men need to have a little bit of lamb in them. You need to know how to be strong and gentle. Mm. David said, Lord, it's your gentleness that made me great. He was a warrior. He was a king. He was a leader. But there was a gentleness about him that made his authority and way of governing not fear people, but endear them with respect and love. Men, make sure there's sufficient amount of gentleness in your life. Women, you do the same. So in this moment, when he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, everybody realizes what he means when he says lamb, because they've been doing this for centuries. And here's the difference. The Passover was a celebration that said, let's celebrate God who passes over our sin. And now Jesus comes to do what a sacrificial lamb could never be done, which is why you have to do it year in and year out. Jesus comes and John says, behold, the lamb of God who not passes over takes away our sin. 
aren't you glad he doesn't just pass over? He doesn't just excuse. He says, somebody's got to pay for it. I will, and I'll take it from you. It's an amazing picture. I love this picture for us. Now, going from there, we're going to keep building. Sacrificed or redeemed. So when we talk about tithing, this is what we need to understand. And I took this directly from the book we've been reading, The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris. God, I'm going to give to you first and trust you to redeem the rest. When Jesus dies on the cross, he's God's first and God's best. And he's the only one born clean. Anybody else on the planet born clean? No, because we all inherited the Adamic nature. We were born unclean. So it's not a function of how nice you are, how sweet you are, or if everyone loves your personality. You're just as unclean as the person who's not nice, who's not polite, and who doesn't take out anybody's trash, including their own. We're equally unclean in the eyes of God. So we can't make differences about ourselves based on things that God goes. There's no distinction there. So here comes Jesus, and he dies. And as I said before, God gave his best to what? Save the rest. If he does not die for us, then the rest cannot be saved. Because like I said of the donkey, if it's, un- if it's, if it's unclean, you got to break its neck. Meaning there's only loss, death, suffering, judgment if you're unclean. So someone had to die for us. Now, I know you know all this. Turn with me now to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Sacrificed or redeemed. You either have to be sacrificed or you have to be redeemed. I'm so glad that Jesus chose to be sacrificed so that we could be redeemed. Now, in John chapter 3, we have this moment that's very significant. I'm going to read it, verses 1 through 16. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Which is a reference to Jesus himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. How many of you have heard that passage or read it? Many of us have. John 3.16 is perhaps the most quoted verse ever. Uh, At football games, there are signs, John 3.16. No words, you just see John 3.16. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. But let's hear it in context. This is a conversation. This is a significant moment. A man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. He is a a ruling member in the Jewish community of what is known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin normally consisted of 71 men who were experts in the law. They might be called by the name rabbi. And they were not just knowledgeable of the law, they were teachers of the law. The law of God. And the Pharisees uh, were not those who sat in admiration of Jesus. Um, They were troubled by him. Uh, They actually sought to put an end to him. They were taking steps to bring about his arrest and death. Um, They were envious and jealous because people were beginning to follow Jesus and not them. And they were held in high regard in society. So they felt like they were losing their place. They regarded themselves as those who were maintaining the Mosaic law. 600 plus laws with commands and prohibitions of what you can do and cannot do. And they knew every single one down to the jot and the tittle, which are Hebrew letters and, 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 and symbols. And they were coming to challenge Jesus. And, and many were accusing him as actually being a lawbreaker. But he was not a lawbreaker, nor was he just an expert in the law. He was the fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled what they could only teach. And what oftentimes they taught in error, meaning it came short of his intent when he gave it to Moses and didn't call it 10 commands as much as he called it 10 words to live by. But time over time over time, something gets lost and you no longer understand what it came from. It's like the story I tell about the little girl who watched her mom at Thanksgiving cut the end of a turkey off and then bake it year after year. And so by the time she was 12, she says, Mama, I got to ask, because one day I'm going to bake a turkey for Thanksgiving like you. Why do you cut the end of it off before you bake it? And mama says, well, baby, my mama did it. And she says, okay. So she asked grandma, and grandma tells the whole story. She said, my mama did it. She went to go see her great-grandmother, and her great-grandmother put her hands on her knees and said, baby, come here. She said, you're kidding me. Your mama and your grandmama, my daughter and granddaughter, still cut the end of the turkey off? She was confused. Mama, you got to help me understand. What's going on, great-grandma? Baby, the only reason why great-grandma ever did it because I didn't have a pan big enough to cook the whole thing. (laughs) What traditions do we end up holding on to, but the truth was lost along the way and we no longer understand the reason behind it? Why do you go on Sunday? Why do you take communion? Why do you pray? If you're doing it out of duty and just a routine experience, but it's disconnected from the truth, it has no power in it for you. So you walk away and find another church, and you walk away and find another church. And it's not about finding the church, it's being the church, but you have to find Christ first. Then he'll be with you in almost any church, because the church is not a building, it's a people who belong to him. Now listen, When, when Nicodemus comes at night, he came at night for a reason. Because he knew that he was, his brothers would probably look at him. Why are you going to go talk to him? So that's why he came at night, we think. Nicodemus, I call it Nick at night. <laughs> Called it Nick at night for 20 years. But there's more there. Nicodemus says, Rabbi. Those are the first words out of his mouth. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. 
And here's how we know. Because no one could do the signs, perform the signs that you were doing. By signs, he meant miracles. He meant wonders. Jesus was people who were deaf when they met him, walked away hearing. People who were blind didn't need their stick after being in his presence. People who were dead en route to burial got up. Nick saw that and went, you got to be from God because no one could do that unless God was with them. Now, I commend him, but he still comes short because it's not that he was, that God was with him, it's that he is God. But Nick doesn't know that, so he dresses him almost like a peer because he himself is a teacher, so he calls Jesus a teacher. Something's wrong when we speak to Jesus as if he's our peer. Lord, you know how I feel because you feel this way. Ah, Be careful when you try to bring him down, the one who has to bring you up. And what he does in this conversation is start to bring Nick up. He could have just said, dude, I am God. But he's, he's gentle with him. This expert, this knowledgeable man, he's going to work with him. He's going to lift him up. Aren't you glad that God just, doesn't just blast you? And the reason why I say he, he, he is being gentle with him is because John the Baptist, his cousins, and Jesus himself had referred to the Pharisees heretofore as snakes. It's in the Bible. Brood of vipers. A brood, a lot. Vipers, snake. That's what they were called. So when Nick was coming, he could have like, here comes this snake. But he doesn't relate to him out of the context of the people group he belongs. Make sure you don't treat people who are different ethnically from you because of a stereotype about that group. Make sure you pray and say, God, give me your heart for this individual and help me break out of the mindsets and stereotypes of the culture that says black people are like this or white people are like this or women are like this or men are like this or those people are like this. And then you just have a label on them before they open their mouth and you can't hear anything except through the grid of colored glasses. Take your glasses off and let God restore your sight. So you love people the way he does. Because he loved you when you showed up and didn't call you out of the people group that you were out of those stereotypes. Because his type is to make you like him. So he doesn't care where you started. It's how you end up. All right. So he says this to Nicodemus to help him. Instead of just saying, I am God, he says, Nick, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How many have heard the phrase born again? Nick had never heard it. Never heard it. It wasn't a common expression. Now, it's common to us because we have built theology on it. And I don't know if we, in our theology, we need to make sure everything imports to us because Jesus didn't make the emphasis of that moment being born again. He made the emphasis seeing the kingdom, which you can't do unless you're born again. Now, Nicodemus is going, born again? Yeah, yeah. How? how? Can a man when he's old? Now he's speaking about himself. He stepped away from just being someone who has expert knowledge and he's He's in this loving confrontation moment with Jesus, and he goes, if a, if, a, 
if someone is old, can they enter their mama's womb a second time? He's like, I, you got to help me with this one. He's referring to himself. Why else would he use the word old? Because that described him. So it's personal now with God. He's not just, you know, when you talk to somebody, a pastor, somebody you like, and you talk around without ever talking about yourself. You know how people are, pastor. You know, well, what about you? Well, you know, people, people, people. What about you? Well, you know, see, because people. Nick isn't doing that. He's like, how can a man when he's old? Yeah, I don't know anybody who's ever gone to their mom. I don't know what mama would say. You can come back. <laughs> Your mama would look at you like, uh-uh. You were heavy enough the first time you came out. There's no way you're doing it again now. And he's not talking about reincarnation either. But he doesn't get it. Why didn't he get it? Because, as Paul said, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. What we try to do is when God is speaking to us by the Spirit is reduce it to the natural, but that leaves us in the place of foolishness and nonsense. Because it takes faith to apprehend the things of the Spirit. Now, this is important because Nick actually believes God. He started off by saying, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God. He's not an atheist. He's not even agnostic. He actually believes in God, and he actually believes in miracles. He believes in signs and wonders. He believes all these things. He just doesn't know God. And it, I shudder. In 2019, I shudder. God, please don't let us be people who believe in God, who believe in miracles, who believe in signs and wonders. We believe in God, and we believe this, and we believe that, and yet we don't know you when we're looking you in the face. That, that puts the fear of God in me that I could preach every Sunday and not know him. Scares me in the best possible way. Do I really know you? Or have I measured knowledge of you with frequency of Sunday attendance? Tithing, singing, raising, and letting people get in front of me without cussing at them in traffic. Do I think that is the measure that gains access into heaven? Or make me likable to God? Make sure we are the church, not just doing church. Lest we do church and convince ourselves we are. Because this man knows the law of God. He's an expert in it. He believes in God and miracles. But he's still lacking something and God's trying to help him. No, Nick, you can't go into your mother's womb again. Unless a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. We believe that when he said born of water, he was not speaking about water baptism, although water baptism is absolutely essential. You've been baptized in water? Praise God. I think because he said this, flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. So the first reference, flesh gives birth to flesh, would refer to the water being the womb of a woman. Water. When your water breaks, woman, right? You know it. Daddy knows it too. My water broke. Start the car. Get the bags. Hopefully they were on the car. And you hurry, right? This generation, you you at the hospital before the water breaks, all the technology, you probably get a little pager. Water will break in three hours, right? <laughs> I grew up with the grainy sonograms. You've got tricolor stuff. You can see your baby's future. All I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy. My first sonogram, they said it's a boy. Then we had a girl. I was like, okay, I'm done with sonograms. I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. God, 
give me what you want. <laughs> Nothing wrong with sonograms. If you were going to get one today, keep your appointment. Don't, <laughs> not knocking it. I have to be careful. But he said, that which is born of, you must be born of water. So you have to be born physically. And then you have to be born of the spirit. Born again is born of the spirit. It is regenerate. The only time born again is mentioned, those phrase, it's twice here in John 3, and then Peter talks about it. But elsewhere in the Bible, you don't see the term born again. It wasn't a phrase in their day. When Jimmy Carter ran for president, he publicly said, I am born again. I'm a Christian. And so it's a popular term for us, but, but Jesus didn't popularize born again. What he said was regeneration, washing of the spirit. You have to be regenerated. In other words, because you are born naturally through water, you also have to be born spiritually by the Spirit. Flesh births flesh, but the, the Spirit births spirit. So your spirit, when you were born, was not alive, was not active. It was just dead. Though physically, your soul and everything is active, the spirit part of you, dead. And only the Spirit can regenerate it. And until the Spirit of God regenerates your spirit, you can't see the king or this kingdom that he invites us to live in. But the moment you are made new by the spirit, you're no longer confined to live merely on earth as all humans do. You now have a king and a kingdom that empowers you to live from the king and from the kingdom while on earth in a way that makes people go, how do you live like that? The whole of humanity practices the law of self-preservation. That is not just counterintuitive in the kingdom. It's not just otherworldly. It is unlike anything except the king. It's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is like this. It's like this. It's like this. You can't see it, so I have to describe it with analogies in human terms. When you go to a hospital to see a new baby, Pastor Rich just had a new baby, Jackson. And so anybody who went to the hospital to see his baby could walk in, and they're like, okay, there's Jamila, there's Pastor Rich. Where, where's Jackson? And you can physically see the baby, and you kind of see the Either Jackson is in the, in the room with mama or in the nursery, and there better be a label to say, you know, baby boy, if he doesn't have a name, or baby girl. Some of ours didn't have their name the day they got here. They got it the week later. But, but you see the baby. Are you with me? When you're born of the Spirit, he said, uh, it's different. Those are born of the Spirit. It's like the wind. The wind, uh, it, just, it goes and comes as it pleases. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going, but, it's, but the wind is there. Those who are born of the Spirit are like the wind. Not that you're reckless and abandoned and all that, but that it's not visible to the eye. You can't see the wind, but you can't experience it. When you see a baby born, you see the baby. But when someone is born of the Spirit, they look the same in terms of their physical appearance. The day you were regenerated by the Spirit, if you were, you didn't all of a sudden change outwardly so that people could no longer recognize you. If you had a hair out of place before, the hair was still out of place. You didn't grow taller. If you were five feet, you didn't become 5'3". If you were 300 pounds, you didn't become 150. There was no physical change. So you can't tell. So Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. What fruit? The fruit of the fact or the truth that the Spirit has regenerated them. Love comes out of them. So instead of self-preservation, it's actually self-denial. Which if you try to do without being regenerated, gives you a hernia long-suffering how long should I stay married to her well if you have the fruit of the spirit 
you actually have the fruit, which is long-suffering. Am I making it plain? And if someone just cusses you out, the fruit of the Spirit actually prompts you to be gentle and kind. Kindness is not just being sweet. It's treating people better than they deserve. That's kindness. Kindness is not you just open the door. It is treating people not according to their sins, but treating them as if they'd never sinned against you or anybody else. It's loving them above yourself. That is Christianity. Not just walking in here on Sunday. Because if you walk out and you still don't live that way, then you haven't seen or entered into the kingdom. But you're saying you're born again. Born again is just the starting point to a life that nobody can live except the Spirit of God in them. Anybody want to be saved? Make sure. Don't reduce it to that moment you walk down an aisle or a prayer you pray. There better be a life. When that baby is born, Jackson, they don't go, oh, he was born. All right, let's just leave him here and go. (laughs) No, no, no. Now the life begins. Why do we pray a prayer and then just walk away from the altar and act like the life didn't start? I want to be a better follower of Jesus. I don't follow him as well as he's called me to. And I can't because I need to rely on the Spirit much more. Much more. Instead of relying on all the stuff that I can see. Okay. Let's begin to close. And I've gone over again. John 3.16. You got to read all the stuff before. Is this helping you? I wish we could just stay another three hours and just describe what kingdom life looks like. So then you could look at how you live and how now the Spirit of God regenerating causes you to live. And that's why you need to be not only filled with the Spirit, but walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit. When you aren't proactively pursuing and receiving the Spirit, your flesh is the default. And that's why we say, I didn't mean to say it, but you couldn't help it because it is the default. Everything that's not right about us is the default. So God had to make us new. Move the cursor over and click kingdom. So Jesus said this to Nicodemus in that same moment. Still trying to help him understand. He said, in the same way Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man has to be lifted up. Now, I grew up in church meetings where we sang songs about Jesus being lifted up. The words were, lift Jesus higher. Lift Jesus higher. Lift him up for the world to see. Anybody remember that song? Did you grow up in that church? I see one hand in the back. (laughs) And then there are all these songs we sing about lifting him up. His mother Mary would not have sang that song and heard it the way we hear it. I get what we mean about him being exalted. But you got to look at the juxtaposition of where it's said in Scripture. The most famously quoted verse is John 3.16, but you got to read John 3.14 and 15 first. Can I read it to you? So that you hear it in Jesus' own words. Let's start from verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, 
Jesus, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have ever eternal life. I lo- we quote 16, and we should, but put it all together. Jesus was expressing something that Nicodemus would have understood because he's Jewish, so he's from the line going all the way back to Moses and before him, Abraham. There was this moment where the God's people were in a wilderness. You ever felt like you've been in a wilderness? Well, being in the wilderness and not the promised land, they were grumbling and complaining. You ever find yourself grumbling and complaining? Can I help you? The fruit of the Spirit eliminates grumbling and complaining out of your life. We just need to wake up in the morning and and say, Lord, I need your spirit today so that I don't grumble and complain about all the stuff that I'm inclined to grumble and complain about. When the people were grumbling and complaining, God sent snakes and they were venomous snakes and they were bitten by the snakes and they started dying. So they went to Moses and said, help. So Moses prayed and God said, make a bronze snake and lift it up on a pole. And everybody who looks at the snake, I'll heal them. Those who don't look at it, they died. That's what it means to be lifted up. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, realized the reference to lifting him up means that he was going to be lifted up on a pole, wood. And he became sin for us. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could become the righteous of God. So whenever we turn to Christ on the cross and put faith in him and are willing to die and let him have first place instead of us being first place, then he heals us. He brings us into the kingdom and we're cured of our disease called sin. The snake was in the wilderness, but Jesus became sin for us. He literally hung on the cross, dying for you and me, and he became sin. Every sin, every act of disobedience, Every sin you've ever thought, every sin I've ever done, whether it was last night, last week, the whole aggregate of all humanity, he bore the full punishment and weight. Imagine one person being punished for their sin. He was punished for the sin of all humanity. One man sinned and it messed everybody else. One man died and he had to die for all the sins committed by all humanity from the beginning of time until now. He becomes a cure for us. God gave his best to save the rest. So when you tithe, you're just being like him. A hundred percent of it is yours, but I give you the tithe. I won't rob you. And that tithe saves the 90%, which I still need to steward for all the responsibilities he's given you. Paying your bills, caring for your family, supporting missionaries, all that stuff. Amen. Father, we thank you this moment you said unless no one can see the kingdom no one can enter the kingdom unless they're born again of water and spirit I'm asking that we would see the king and see the kingdom and be those who the spirit regenerates so that we can live the kingdom life here on earth not just eternity when we pass from here, but eternal life now, knowing you. Thanks for listening. 
To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovdc.org.